This podcast contains paid advertisements, but more on that later. Welcome to the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast, where I discuss how you can grow your business by the bootstraps. This applies to all entrepreneurs, from the person just starting up to the one that is already well-established. My goal is to help you grow. I am your host, Isaiah O'Connor. Okay, so today's podcast will be brought to you by awin.com. That's A-W-I-N dot com. Now, what is awin.com? Awin.com is a wonderful place for content creators to find affiliate sponsors. And it's a great place for businesses to find a content creator to promote their product or service. I call it a business creator dating service because that's what it's kind of like. You, you set up your business, you can set up the terms and conditions and what you will pay somebody to promote your product, say on a podcast, a YouTube channel, or a blog, and then a blogger, podcaster, content creator of some sort comes in and they look and they accept your terms of service and then they start promoting your product or service and that's all processed through allwin.com. It's really great. Go check them out. If you're a content creator, go check them out. If you're a business that needs a relatively inexpensive way to market, it's a great place to go. So that's allwin.com. Check them out, and it supports us. Link's in the description below. Or if you're on Spotify, you might have to swipe up or whatever on the cover art. Anyway, so what am I going to talk about today? Today I'm going to talk about the dangers of Twitter market research. Now, what am I talking about Twitter market research? Why am I talking about Twitter market research? And is there any good Twitter market research? Well, first of all, I've seen that a lot of these companies that have been getting woke and going broke seem to be following Twitter trends as far as what they feel people are wanting and they're going with that research of what people are talking about on Twitter to create their marketing plans and going forward with that. And there's some problems and dangers with that and I'll get to that in just a moment because there are some really, really useful research techniques that can be used on Twitter and Facebook and other social dis- social media, not social distancing, like social media platforms. But today I'm talking mostly about Twitter. Now, the reason I'm talking more about Twitter than, say, Facebook is because of the one primary difference between Facebook and Twitter. Twitter is seen more as a place to gather news, whereas Facebook is more of a place to be, well, social, social media, to be there and post pictures of your kids and cute cat videos, etc. It's more of that. Twitter's more focused on news and politics and politics and news, and you're not finding a lot of Twitter accounts where they're posting videos of their cute kids and their cats and stuff. It's not really the big thing. So there's that. And 
you, you can figure out some good research about people, what they're buying and shopping for, looking at based on Facebook as well. So that will be another episode on that. But I'm going to focus on Twitter. Now, there are some wonderful uses of Twitter and research and marketing research that you can use. And you can use Twitter for marketing. You can market on Twitter. And it can be very, very effective if done properly. And there's websites, there's blogs, there's entire firms that will help you market on Twitter. But I'm not here to talk about marketing on Twitter today. I'm here to talk about researching on Twitter. And I think the most important key about researching on Twitter is knowing exactly what information you need and knowing your target market very well. Making sure you know the base demographics of your customer is very important going into market research anywhere, to be, to be honest, but especially on Twitter. I was looking up some numbers on Twitter, and it turns out that more people have heard of Twitter than are on Twitter. So while you might, it, it's tempting to think that, well, everyone's on Twitter, so you're going to be able to get a large audience on Twitter. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people on Twitter, but only according to this information I found. Only 7% of Americans use Twitter versus 87% that actually have heard about Twitter. Now, out of the 7% that are using it, it's still a lot of people. That's around 17 million people. But out of that, only about 10% of people on Twitter are tweeting frequently. And that's a uh, that's a big difference. So only ten percent of people are very prolific creating content, and they create eighty percent of the tweets. And this is from Pew Research, by the way. This ten percent is from Pew Research. And then, so that's a small amount of people doing it. And then there's, let's see. Most Twitter users are women. Most of them uh, engage in politics, and most of them identify at, more identify as Democrats than Republican. And the top ten percent focus more on social justice issues than the bottom eighty, bottom ninety percent. So it, there's a big dispergence here. Now. There's that key metric that I just was talking about, social justice issues, immigration, rights, etc. Those are pushed mostly by the 10% of the very vocal but small minority of the country. And I, I've seen different people talk about this in different news sites, and it seems to be that a lot of these companies that got woke and went broke, were following Twitter to make the decisions on what social justice issues are going woke they should promote as a company. Which is not that great of an idea because when it comes to politics, when it comes to 
political issues and social justice issues, it seems like Twitter represents the minority viewpoint very, very loudly, which would be evidenced by these companies that do go woke, very, very short order, going broke because of social justice issues that they're following on Twitter. Now, with that in mind, you need to be careful about the data you draw from Twitter, recognizing that in reality, only about 10% of the most prolific posters comprise 80% of the content and represent the minority viewpoint of most of America. This is important to know because if you're trying to draw just based on what the 10% of people are talking about the most, you might make a marketing decision that is disastrous in the long run. And it's understandable because there's been a lot of hype about using Twitter for market research, for, for even predicting the stock market. There was a paper I found that showed that they were able to predict the stock market within like 87% based on the mood of people on Twitter, um, which is kind of an interesting thought. There's been companies that have very adeptly used Twitter to figure out where to open up new locations, etc. So yeah, there is some very powerful tools and use of Twitter. You can use Twitter. There's a lot of data on Twitter that you can use. However, you have to be careful about what data it is, and it has to be very, very targeted, and you have to know who your target audience is. For example, there's slightly more women than men on Twitter, so therefore, if you want to promote to men, you might have a better shot somewhere else. But, yeah, maybe, yes, maybe not. But, just an example, you gotta know your demographics. Twitter demographics are usually younger. I think it's between 35 and 40 is the oldest people on Twitter on average. So it's a younger demographic. They're a little bit more wealthy, they're a little bit higher educated. Other demographics in there. Now, when you want, if you want to use Twitter for market research, that's great. That's fine. Go ahead and do it. Just this is the warnings here because I have not seen a lot of people talk about these demographics of the minority being the most vocal. That's important whenever you're looking at demographics and marketing and everything else. Matter of fact, it kind of reminds me of when I worked at Harris Casino. This was years and years ago, and we were in an employee meeting, and they were talking about their market focus, and it was fairly understandable why they, why their focus was here, and it was this. According to their research, 30% of the customers, the high rollers, the wells, the people who would drop in a single bet more than I made in two weeks, provided 70% of the income of the entire casino. And so they said they would focus on the 30% of people that brought in the most income, which made perfect sense. 
However, again, I, I've talked about statistics fairly recently. They missed a point which I caught immediately. And I almost piped off, but I thought better of it and kept my mouth shut. I almost raised my hand because the attitude was, we're not going to focus nearly as much, if at all, on the 70% of customers that don't pay us a lot of money. I don't remember the exact phraseology, but it was something along the lines of 70% of the customers are not important. 30% of the customers are very, very important. So we're going to focus only on the important customers and kind of forget the unimportant customers. It was something along those lines. I almost raised my hand and piped up and said, well, if you don't want that 30% of your income, I'll take it. Because obviously, 30% of the income of a casino is still a very large chunk of money. I could have retired on that and lived comfortably the rest of my life on that 30% of the casino's income. Again, statistics, you got to be aware of what the data says. And the other thing, back to the casino, is you have to look at the other 80% and what they're saying or not saying and what they're being quiet about because that could also be fairly representative of a larger mindset and income. And there could be also a relationship. And there is a direct relationship on Twitter and even on casinos. Because here's the thing. High rollers in casinos, turns out they don't like a quiet casino. They want a very busy casino with a lot of action. A lot of people there, a lot of people playing, a lot of noise, a lot of bells and whistles going off as people hit jackpots. It's exciting. It's all part of the fun and the experience. A quiet casino is perceived as unlucky because no one's there means no one's being lucky. Therefore, it's not a great place. It's like going to a restaurant at dinner time and every restaurant in, in the neighborhood is packed to the gills with people. You go to the one restaurant that is empty you might be a little bit concerned because if you have an empty restaurant at dinner time in a restaurant district, they're probably not a great place to eat. So, same thing with the high rollers. They perceived a busy casino as a lucky casino, and a lucky casino is where they want to be. So, when the casino started doing things to push out the small players, and the small group of people, well, guess what? The high rollers left. Matter of fact, uh, the general manager at the time, who was not very well liked, matter of fact, I'd almost say he was nearly universally, universally hated, this guy who was giving this presentation, then talked about removing the penny slots because we didn't make a lot of money on penny slots. Now, for those of you who don't, haven't grown up in Las Vegas or Nevada or anywhere where there's slot machines and casinos, there's uh, your slot machines and penny slots are slots that start off at a penny a bet, one cent per bet. And people can play on them for a long time, have fun, but they're not going to spend a lot of money and they're not going to make a lot of money. Matter of fact, I was bored one day, waiting for a bus. I put a dollar in a penny slot, and I was playing video poker, and I hit a royal flush on one penny. 
I made five bucks. It was a huge win for penny slot, five dollars. Now, of course, I've never hit royal flush on anything higher than a penny, but hey, you know. But it's fun. You can sit down there. You can relax, chill. It's fun. You spend a dollar. You can be there for an hour, betting one penny at a time. And, of course, the management doesn't want a lot of people sitting there for hours on end playing $5 because that's not very cost efficient. The thing is about penny slots is some penny slots can actually take a bet up to like seven, eight, ten dollars per pull per time, which makes it a big bet and actually can make some money. But this guy perceived penny slots as the cheap seats, as people who don't have a lot of money, they're not making a lot of money for the casino, and therefore they should be ignored and removed the entire penny slot section from the casino and got rid of it. Really angered a lot of the customers. He refused to come at all. All of a sudden, without all those extra little penny slots making noise, it was less. It was more quiet. Felt less lucky. Less people showed up. Less high rollers showed up. It was a disaster. Now, yeah, it went off a little bit of a tangent here, but let's take this back into Twitter. If you took Twitter and removed ninety percent of the people on Twitter and only had the 10% of the vocal people there, Twitter would collapse. Twitter needs all those accounts. The more accounts Twitter has, the better it is. Because 10% of people complaining to each other and talking about things to each other, it will, it's still a lot of people, but still nowhere near as many people as need be. And they need an audience. If you're, I found that content creation careers, including myself, people on Twitter, people, they do it because they want to get a message out. They need an audience. If I was doing this for a year like I have and had no one listening, there'd be no point. You need an audience. If you're making a comment on Twitter, especially on Twitter, because again, Facebook you might be looking at a picture of your niece overseas or or sending a message to your mom about what what your kids did to show off your grandkids. So, you know, there's a lot more of that personal touch and interaction. So you can be posting on Facebook and be doing it as a means of communication with friends and family. But on Twitter, you don't again, you don't see a lot of this. If you're on Twitter, you want to be heard. You want to make your voice heard, you want to make a comment about something you're excited about, you need to be heard. And if you don't have 90% of the people there to listen, then you're might you're not gonna have a lot of followers, you're not gonna be doing a lot. Because you can create a lot of content and have a lot of followers, but if there's no followers, there's no point. And this is a key part of this whole demographic issue, these percentage issues you got to think about, it's not just the vocal minority. You have to look at the majority that are not vocal and then realize that they're important too and how they react to these people that are following are just as important as the people that are making the noise. So you got to look at all the aspects. And if you only look at 
the 10%, you're in danger of making bad decisions because they're not representative of the whole. And if you look at only the 90%, that's more representative of the whole, but you have to look at why they're there, who they follow. It's very complex, and that's the dangers. Now, can Twitter research be a powerful and good thing? Yes, it can be, and you can and should use Twitter to do research. I just have to point out the dangers because when I was researching this episode, people talked about all the great things about researching on Twitter and how powerful it is and how great and awesome and amazing it is without touching or only briefly mentioning these key dangers that I have seen. And again, this is just my observation. I don't have a lot, huge empirical data set to go by this. I'm just saying this is my observation. Now, the question is, how effective is Twitter research done well? Well, done correctly, it can be very, very powerful, depending on how you do it. Matter of fact, I found an article where they went and they used Twitter and they looked at the moods of people and the happy, sad, the, they tracked the Twitter users and they applied this to the stock market to figure, since the stock market is driven largely by the moods of people and the public and their confidence in all that in the market and whatnot, that they found when they tracked the moods of people on Twitter, the general moods of everyone on Twitter going up and down, they were able to predict up and down trends in the stock market as well because of the moods of the people. Makes sense. And I think they predicted 80, within 87% accuracy, something insanely high prediction. So yeah, it, it can be useful. So there's two other good ways that you can use as a company to research on Twitter. And one of them is called social listening, which is kind of data collection, data mining in a way. And that's when you go through the digital conversations and look for key search words to figure out the behavior. Now, there was a chain of pizza restaurants called, there is a chain of pizza restaurants called Bella Brava. And it's a healthy pizza, healthier pizza, healthy living pizza. And they wanted to open new restaurants in Europe. And so they found a list of keywords that they were looking for. For example, plant-based, spelt flour, veggie, healthy, all these types of words. And then they were looking look for people who were talking about pizza on Twitter and, their, and other social channels, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And then they narrowed down where they were. And the more people talking about these items and ingredients in social media, especially Twitter, they would find the, go and try to find the market where these guys were living and that's where they opened up their restaurants and that made it very, very successful use of Twitter for research. So again, there are some very, very good ways to use Twitter as market research and be very, very powerful and help your company out. But again, you have to be careful what type of information and data you're looking for and look for actual data, look for frequency of words being used, 
in what markets you need to know that these people are talking about your product or service specifically and ignore the political stuff they talk about because that's very, very a small minority of what is the majority opinion. So you got to be careful about these things. Done right, it can make you a very successful company. Done wrong, it can, well, cause you to go woke and then get broke. Anyway, you have a great day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Also, just as a reminder, I now have a new subscription service over at buymecoffee.com forward slash bootstrap, where you will be getting some extra goodies behind a paywall, $5 a month, $50 a year, uh, podcast episode transcripts as I can make them available, first readers on new blogs that are posted, interactions with me, First few people will get two-hour free cons- consultation. You'll get extra consultation. You'll get discounts on my other services I provide. And I'm open for suggestions as for what you would like to see over behind the paywall. So give it a give it a look. I'd love to see you there. Oh, and you will also be invited to the private Facebook group where you can bounce ideas off of other bootstrappers and entrepreneurs, myself and my business partner, Jason, to get a lot of help and assistance with growing your business. Anyway, go check it out and I'll see you next time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Remember to get your free half-hour consultation by using our contact page and the links below. If you found value in this content, please give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform you use. It is very helpful if you share this with your friends. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, I have a few donation links in the description, or you can check out the show sponsors. You have been listening to the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast, which is an Athos Business Solutions podcast. Our companion podcast, the Athos Business Podcast, which is hosted by Jason St. Clair. Our past episodes and related blogs, you can check out our website at www.athos.com, which is www.athos.com or atheoz.com. Remember, you can also check us out on the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast Facebook group, where you can interact with me and other people who are bootstrappers and entrepreneurs. The link is in the description. Come check us out. I would love to interact with you. And until next time, I'm your friendly neighborhood entrepreneur, Isaiah O'Connor. See you later.